This is Paul from Daily Review. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. And this is the Avenue 5 podcast. Tonight we're talking about episode 5 of season 1 of Avenue 5. He's only there to stop his skeleton from falling over. It was directed by Annie Griffin, teleplay by Peter Bainham, story by Armando Iannucci and Peter Bainham. Hey, Paul, did you hear the great news about Avenue 5? I did, but why don't you share it with our listeners? Sure. I mean, it's uh, probably actually a little bit old news by now because it happened really right after last week's episode aired. But uh, Avenue 5 has been renewed for season two. So congratulations to uh, Mr. Iannucci and the cast and the crew. It looks like Avenue 5's journey will be continuing for a few more episodes, at least probably another eight. A big hand for them and uh, their season two pickup. Now, I don't know that the, the big wigs at Pod Clubhouse have decided whether or not to renew the Avenue 5 podcast. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. You know, it's true. We were talking I feel like we were talking to someone on Twitter recently, just the last couple of days, and it was a very similar conversation I feel like we've had amongst ourselves and with other people. We had such high hopes for this show, and now we're, well, now we're five episodes in, uh, more than halfway done with the first season, and just don't know what to make of this show. You know, I feel like the episodes have settled into providing definitely some laughs, but for yeah. a, a sustained 28 minutes, 30 minutes uh, every week, I, I, I just... I'm not getting that from the show. Have you? How do you feel about Avenue 5 at this point? I had a couple of pretty hearty chuckles in this episode, but not really laugh out loud, like boisterous. Like I guess the most I've, I've laughed at a sitcom is probably way back in the Seinfeld days. I thought that stuff was pretty funny. So that's kind of my high bar. <laughs> and, uh, sure. And and uh, this this is not this is not that it's not trying to be that, but it's not really even approaching that. I find myself comparing it to Veep only because of you know Armando Iannucci and there's so many overlays in the people behind the scenes between the two shows, and I'm I, I think I just don't know what the show is trying to be. I feel like it's definitely fallen into a rhythm when the show is working its best angles. I do find myself laughing. But it still feels like it's struggling to find what it is week to week. You know, like this week with all of the Hugh Laurie breakdown stuff, you know, when he's outside and he's mumbling to himself, the way he's shifting between his accents, all of that really works for me. I really like the Iris stuff when they give her stuff to do playing off of Judd. I really enjoy that. You know, I think Zach Woods is still killing it as Matt. Thank God for him. I think he's been the most consistently funny from from the get-go. But it's still but then they shift you know and then we have to go through mia and doug weird sex things then we have to go through you know karen trying to do whatever she's doing seducing the captain and also being (laughs) you know with frank and you know like there's like these weird sidebars that we take i'm just like no get me back get me back to the stuff that's making me laugh i think maybe one of the things that makes it not super veep like i mean the 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 delivery of the jokes and the kind of the the way that the humor is is presented i guess is very veep like but the difference for me and i'm not really a a total veep head or anything uh, i just watched a few episodes here and there but i do recall that 
most of the characters were somehow likable in some way. Even even the obnoxious ones, somehow there was something Redeeming. kind of likable about them. Yeah. yeah. There's only a few likable characters here. In fact, some of them that, that appear likable actually try to kind of disgust you in some other way. There's not a lot to grab onto in a, in a given scene sometimes in terms of like, I really want to hear what this person has to say. Even like you said with Matt, he he's a nihilist right <laughs> sure yeah so, he, he wants to watch the world burn because he finds it very amusing which is a tough thing to kind of get behind from a comedic standpoint <laughs> right yeah but, you know i think he hits more often than not like even tonight with the the very painful jordan stand-up set which obviously he was you know that guy it was set up to to have a bad set i found myself because they kept doing it i finally gave into matt's interference i did find funny in the end like not initially but it kept up for so long the way he kept intruding i did find it funny you know and, and i think if matt doesn't if his character doesn't win me over right away with whatever joke it is or the in the back of the scene wall like electronic posters that he seems to do all over the ship he'll stick with a joke and it'll eventually get me but yes again he is not a likable character if you're judging him from a moral standpoint but i do find him funny but the, none of them are though i mean billy is likable she seems like a genuinely good person who is likable frank is actually kind of likable though still very simple but the rest everyone else on the show am i missing someone i mean even even rav is maybe likable but also a little bit duplicitous i mean she tries to she tries to turn the fixing the turd shield into a you know to lobby it to the white house you know and then and it's a mm -hmm backfiring at the end of the episode but they're all really flawed people in a way that unless they're really making you laugh you don't want to hear from them that's the difference yeah that's the difference veep resembled the office in a way yes a workplace comedy where largely you liked pretty much everyone that you saw also ostensibly a workplace comedy just harder to grab it onto somebody which you know, when this episode came on, it was, or maybe it was The Outsider this week, but it was preceded by a teaser for Avenue 5 that included all of these headlines from entertainment uh, websites and, and magazines all singing the praises of Avenue 5 about how it was just the, this sublime, sharp comedy. Man, I just felt dumb because I was like, what am I missing here? <laughs> Like, am I am I not, not literary enough to to get to get the the poop jokes here or or what? It happens a lot that I find I'm on the other side of a show, not so much with TV, but certainly for movies. And uh, and I think to myself, what am I not just getting? I consider myself, you know, fairly educated. I I think I have a decent sense of humor, you know, and and what is funny, what is broadly funny, and what is cleverly funny. When this show hits, it is funny and it is funny in an intelligent way but i feel like they throw so much against the wall that just doesn't really stick you know like, like yeah. let's let's take the mia and doug stuff in this episode it, this was a very horny episode of avenue five everyone was looking to basically get laid to some extent at the halfway home party which yeah. is really not halfway home but you know judd being judd you know he's going forward with the party we get introduced to our troubled couple because mia's looking to get her body slammed doug is having the joke about the uh he's gonna get himself some real good consent you know consent action uh, informed <laughs> consent action tonight which that i found funny because that sounded like that was good satire of of a subject that people are very sensitive about but i i found it funny because 
it it was kind of poking fun at that the way he was like him and his bros were talking about their getting their good informed consent that was funny but then south she park com- did it four years ago though true <laughs> but then she comes in and you know and then it just kind of devolved into she's gonna she's gonna she's a, a fairly attractive woman she's gonna go fuck colin you know like that's the guy she winds <laughs> up with you know like if, if that's colin what you're gonna firm. do yeah colin firm you know middle name <laughs> firm but then you had the ethan phillips you know uh spike former astronaut spike stuff i found that funny you know so it was some of it really worked and some of it didn't work you know he, he was just horny he just he was willing just to watch from the hallway that was getting him going you know he was howling like a wolf and i found that really funny but it was just like a mishmash like for everything that makes me laugh something else makes me cringe or just kind of go oh that just didn't land right spike in that scene was was i think what i was chuckling at probably the most because i i don't like the bickering so much the part where he's in one moment willing to engage in a homosexual encounter yeah. and then and the next and then the next willing to to play a flight simulator video game he's like well whichever yeah, he's just looking for human connection. You know, I, I think Spike is just settling down. You know, he definitely wants to get laid by a woman. That is his top preference on the on the right. Carl Jungian scale of his needs. Heterosexual sex is his, you know, main priority. But that not being available, he's willing for homosexual sex. He's willing for just some good bonding time on a flight simulator. Let's go fly some shit. He just wants human connection, which it made him kind of sympathetic. But also I, the way they, they made him this... Uh, background reactor to what was going on very yeah. funny it was a really smart way to use him i think that's what it comes down to this show when it uses its characters correctly keep hugh laurie in front keep matt in front keep iris in front with judd because i think she does a good job of making judd tolerable right not judd really... by himself we need him with a handler yeah because because he's just too much you know when when he is he gets drunk right away and he starts shouting at people's faces it was funny but to me, it was funny because she was right behind him handing out vouchers to everyone he was shouting in their face. He, she was exactly. giving everyone right behind him, like, here's a voucher, you know, you know, like a cleanup woman, you know, her snide comments that he maybe or doesn't hear or does hear. That's what makes Judd funny. It's the way Iris keeps him in check and or puts him down. Uh, mm-hmm. Their interaction with his speech, which was a nonsense speech. But it was her reaction to it. She having written it and was so proud of the nonsense words she had come up with is what, for me, made it funny. Not the actual speech or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or even so, the delivery, which is kind of weird. And it's unpredictable. It, 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 from seeing the scene, I don't think you can say this is going to be a good one because you just don't really know. In this episode, it begins with Ryan going out, as we uh, saw at the end of last week. He goes out to fix the turd shield. His, uh, he has a great line where he talks about how he never thought his final words would be, fuck me, no. Which got me thinking, have you ever thought about what your final words would be or what you would like your final words to not be? Fuck me no is probably right. That's not what you want for your final words. I would hope it would be something that would resonate with those around me and just knock around in their heads for the rest of their own lives. Not be something like... I'm out of toilet paper or, you know, something like that. Or like uh, almost famous, I am a golden god, which is uh, up until maybe fuck me no, had always been my stand for, you know, people who regret their final words when he's up on the roof and he jumps into the pool and he's like, I'm a golden god. And then he regrets, he says he regrets them as his final words because it's not cool enough. Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing to think about what your final words are going to be. Knowing me, I, I would probably try to say something funny, not knowing it would be my last words. And then that would be it. So I wouldn't get to fix it with what I wanted my last words to be. And it wouldn't be funny is the thing. It would be me trying to be funny, which is not always the same thing as me being funny. I understand what you're saying. But that being said, making a joke like if you were falling down a gravity well... 
I found Gravity, what a downer. I thought that was really funny. I mean, Judd got offended. He stood up and he yelled at the comic and that's when he took over the stage and did his type five. But I found Gravity, what a downer. I thought that made me laugh. I think that actually would be excellent final words. And not that that's what his girlfriend had said, but I think that would, <laughs> that would be a very fine, if you were in that situationally, I think that would be a really great uh, final set of words. I'd like to be funny, you know, keep, keep people chuckling as they remember me. Did you foresee Billy coming to save the day? I didn't. I, I figured she was going to, if he was going to be successful, it was going to be because of her, but I didn't see her going out there and actually. Yeah, me neither. But at that point, though, just because of how the show seems to operate, I did get the feeling that it was going to be she was kind of invisible. No matter what he said or what she said or what the, the cameras show, the two of them working together, that she right. was not going to get the credit, that she was going to be a very Mrs. Cellophane kind of invisible person kind of thing. What did you think of that? Because this episode was weird with Billy. It, it seemed to really up the ante on her having feelings for Ryan though he seems pretty oblivious to it still but also working the jealousy angle I mean you could see rightfully so her her getting more and more incensed at not being recognized for her contribution where do you think they're going to take her you know are they going to put them together should they put them together the woman in the shadow of the man is very current topical kind of stuff that if this show kind of fits current thinking that's not gonna last <laughs> that, right. that will come to a, an explosive end one way or the other but as far as the romance portion he got his thrivorce uh in this episode which really made him uh he put her kind of put him on the market with karen maybe or i really i thought they were definitely going to maybe have some drunken sex or with billy i think his trivorce uh definitely sets that up no definitely sets him up with somebody and and of the two i think billy's the more likely category or a candidate in that i mean karen's still married and and um other factors uh <laughs> might contribute to to her not picking karen to, to pair off with she yeah, wouldn't be my see, first choice no but you could see ryan ryan is a self-loathing masochist a little bit so you could almost see where billy would not appeal to him because she's she would she would she would make love versus maybe tie him up and beat him senseless in an intimate act and i, I feel like there's a part of ryan that probably is drawn to Karen's nasty side, which is disturbing. I agree with you. It's not what my pick would be for sure, but I I, I don't know that Ryan is a predictable character in what most people would probably uh, go for in that situation. Sadomasochistic stuff would all be just kind of like the nagging <laughs> that, that Karen can probably produce without even really needing to think about it. Yes, but still no cursing. They, no they cursing. really stuck to it. No cursing and Frank not cursing either. Interesting development uh, I realized today. Frank also uses the initials instead of the curse words. And I'm curious if that is just a similarity that brought them together or if it was a learned behavior from one from the other that they do not curse. The weird, My weird. guess is, is that Frank adapted <laughs> to, to, to Karen's way of looking at things because uh, it seems like he true. would for any other category in his life as well. I don't think Frank, until he attacks uh, Ryan at the end there and calls him a jackal, which not enough people get called jackal in this world, until he attacks him and beats him a little bit. Uh, I don't think Frank has ever asserted himself in any way, shape, or form, other than his leather necklace, 
which two episodes in now, he is still rocking. Still rocking so, the leather necklace. Were you surprised that he became the sacrificial goat on the ship, the ire of everyone? Especially that one woman who I don't know. I think we've heard from her before, but I don't know that she has a name. But the one the one who was really instigating, you know, shitting on his in his room, shitting outside his door. Was that predictable? I I, did, I actually didn't see that coming, that, that, that it was going to continue this episode, that he was going to become the ire of such hatred. I thought it was funny along the the course of the episode I, I don't know that it was funny enough to make it like the sort of the big rallying moment at the end of the the episode i want to think more of of ryan than i think i have any right to does that make sense and that's probably just me liking the actor ryan i think i feel like ryan is actually on a journey here you know well obviously they're all on a journey a three-hour tour for sure but i feel like i feel like ryan is experiencing actual character development and going on a journey especially i think it's the third episode for sure they definitely seem to be transforming him and where he realizes that he's just so full of shit that he now kind of sees it and feels like he has to maybe man up a bit and, and i think this was a part of that like obviously he was you know it was part he was definitely proud of himself for what really billy did but I was more taken by his whole, I don't know how anything works. And he, he holds up his hand and he does the hand puppet, you know, kind of thing. He's like, I don't know how the fuck my arm is doing that. I don't know. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that that's like a real self-aware thing. That's like a baby discovering it has toes that it could put in its mouth. Real self-aware moment that not everyone has. Ryan, we are witnessing Ryan going through this kind of uh, self-realization that the world exists and things make it go and things make it work. It just doesn't all happen by magic. So it's kind of interesting the way they're setting him up. Up. So I like that aspect to it, but you're probably right. It is also probably, I think Hugh Laurie is probably very charismatic and hard to root against. Yeah. So when he, he does stick up for Frank, but he doesn't really say anything definitive like the button didn't do it. It wasn't, it wasn't Frank. The thing was going to bust by. So he doesn't really come out with something that would exonerate him kind of permanently. It just sort of gets him over the hump of the of getting flushed out the airlock right then. But he does stand up to to... Well, not he doesn't stand up to Judd so much, but he stands up to the uh, to the path, to the rabble rousers. He gets them to put Frank and render him back into a standing position. He handles it with tact, where he says, "You know, Judd was clearly just joking," which is not something Judd in his inebriated state was ever going to come up. Judd was fully on board with like, "Shit him out the airlock, let's do it." You know, yes. like you know, that's the kind of thing Judd maybe would have regretted the next morning. Definitely in the moment, Judd was not thinking that anything was wrong with what was happening. Not a perfect defense of frank but you know with the again the generally unlikable people on the show you could see where frank very much easily could have been floating around the ship as a new as a new moon of avenue five really i'm thinking about it you know uh, on the second episode we had kind of put out there that we thought that the the billy and iris would supersede their male counterparts and become central to the show they'd be more interesting characters based on what we saw in the second episode we have not seen that development really and if you look at all the characters in terms of who's getting actual character arcs and development and stuff it's really ryan and everyone else i 
is so far pretty, pretty static. I think the show thinks it's maybe doing something with Billy, but it's not. Because you get the impression that she's probably never spoken up for herself at all. And the show has shown her by necessity taking a leadership role, even if it's behind the scenes. But because it's so behind the scenes and it is so second fiddle to Ryan because she's still trying to make him the leader. She's still, she's still like everyone else is trying to make him the face of the ship, um, I guess for crowd control or whatever. Right. Is she's almost choosing to keep herself down or the show is having her choose to keep herself down, which is disappointing because I think she's electric and I think she is great on screen. I like the scenes when she's in them. So that just tells me I want more of her and I, I would like to see her rise up more. Same with Iris. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but Iris really crackles for me when she's on the screen, but they keep using her in this utility role. Even tonight, what, what, what's your take on how they're using Iris on the show? I think her character is capable of more than just foiling, I guess, Judd's buffoonery. She can do more than that because the episodes where we've seen her alone, she's pretty good on, you know, saying her own thoughts and, and pursuing her own kinds of kind of interests. But we just only have a few moments of that here and there. And the rest of it is just finding one of Judd's piles of shit and then cleaning that up. I mean, like even tonight, like her big role was uh, dealing with the comic and vetting him. And which, again, she's great. Like uh, Billy, when she's on screen, she crackles and she was sharp. You know, she she had the heckler's wet dream line. She listed off the things that make her laugh. You know, I love this. It was uh, light tragedy, erectile dysfunction, non-fatal accident, uh, traffic accidents, and waving at someone you think you know, but then you end up don't. Which I thought was kind of a funny uh, addendum to everything else that came before. Great lines. And, her, and you know, Susie Nakamura, her delivery is so good. Let's put her out front let's not make her just the the cleanup hitter to everyone to judd or to the comic you know let, let, let's give her something meaty to do you, you could know? see where in the writer's room everyone had to submit something that they thought was funny to them but not to anybody else so maybe they got a dozen ideas and then they had to pick the top four <laughs> to, to put them in the show that does seem like that kind of list but it's still funny it's funny the way she rambles up because she she does it casually as if it's something that she has actually thought about it, it came to her in i've contemplated what makes what i what makes me laugh these are the things you know it's like the worst version of the julie andrews you know a few of my favorite things song ever right this show would be better and i think the best episode so far was the one where billy and iris were in well placed in the front i think you move them front and continue the Ryan arc and giving him a lot of room to breathe because I think Hugh Laurie does best with room to breathe. And I think that's your winning combination for the show. I think you can really sideline and I hope the show as it moves through the end of this season and now in season two does that. I, I hope I hope it reevaluates what really worked for it in this season. And hopefully hopefully that's the show we get going forward. What makes you laugh, Paul? Did you did, did that discussion about what makes you laugh or the idea of being a stand-up comic, did that trigger you at all? Not that you've done stand-up comedy, but the idea of having to go make uh, you know, people ask, especially in that morose scenario. Did, did, did that do anything for you? No, that didn't give me a moment to think about what I think is funny. But since you asked, let's see what I can come up with. Mostly that stuff on her list... I, I do find kind of funny. Same. I like a good shot in fruit. You know, uh, laughing at other people's misfortune makes me laugh. I, I'm not I, proud I, of it. I'm not proud of it. It's not like what's like the top of my resume, but it makes me laugh. You know, watching watching things happen to people, especially if I don't like them, makes me laugh. For instance, say I am in traffic and it is heavy traffic and someone does something asinine that results in them getting 
slammed. I don't want them to be hurt. You know, I don't want them to have a trip to the hospital or anything, but I'm okay. And I think it's funny for them to be rewarded for being a jackass by having to pay thousands of dollars to get their car fixed. I'm okay laughing at that. Anytime that karma really comes through for you by exacting revenge on bad people or stupid people, it feels rewarding and it does give you a nice little feeling inside. And, you know, I think that's okay. I think that's okay because people will laugh at you and take pleasure in your exactly. misfortune when it happens to you. Because they do. that's how the wheel works. That so is that is I my do. entire memory of middle school. <laughs> well, you know, we all had experiences. Right. Uh, you know, I, sh- I, I shared some really embarrassing stuff on our Outsider podcast this week about the fear I lived in in grade school. So, you know, it's all good. We all lived with things. So. I was wondering if, like, even to this day, if you hear a certain pattern of footsteps or doors openings or closings in bathrooms even to this day do you still have sort of an instinctive like like i'll he- look over my shoulder i will i mean i don't i don't i don't i mean i'm a pretty big guy it would take a lot to 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 move me but i definitely uh will look over my my shoulder if there's a combination of aggressive footsteps towards my location or something like that something that doesn't sound like it should sound like i also adhere to the there's a spate, you know, if there are five urinals, it should be spots one, three, five first, you know, two and four if necessary for filling, you know, you know, there should be things that are observed and foot pattern and footfall should all, they should sound a certain way. But uh, no, I, I, it's something that has definitely stayed with me. You have to listen to our Outsider podcast for this week if you want to understand what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> a little I had some traumatic experiences in school. Yes, cross pollination. That's how that's how we do it in the clubhouse. So I've never done stand up comedy, but I have been in a position uh, through doing TV blogging and and uh, you know pop culture review and and interviewing people where I've had to be on. I've had to perform in front of a large group of people. There's a room or, or a small, even if it's a small group of people staring at you, you have to be on. You have to perform, even if it's not comedy. It can be very uncomfortable. Have you ever had just an experience like that or a public speaking experience or or a meeting where you just can't wait for it to be over and to be done with? I have taught in um, our local community college for several years. So I've spoken in front of audiences before. In those cases, they're all looking to you to, you know, give them what something they need and they want to be done as badly as you want to be done. So that was really not too much pressure. However, I would say within my role as a TV reporter, going to Comic-Con especially and doing the the roundtables there in certain cases was not super fun. So many cases, it was great, you know, getting to meet actors and and people whose work you you admire but in other cases mostly for me it was certain producers and things where it was just like not a not a connection just wanted to get out of the conversation alive last year i was on a red carpet and a well-known celebrity uh whose work i have admired for a long time was coming down the red carpet I was towards the end of the line, and I was standing next to a woman who I had ascertained did not have a great grasp of English. English is definitely not her first language, and she was from an outlet that does not cover the kinds of movies that we were covering, or is not known for that anyway. 
um, and she was going uh, she was going to be right before me because she the way we were standing. And uh, the celebrity uh, comes and she asks the question she asks. He doesn't hear her. He couldn't, he couldn't understand her at first. It was loud. It was a lot of picture taking, a lot of name calling, you know, look over here, that kind of thing. So he leans in and he's, he's automatically flustered because this is also like the 10th person he's, you know, spoken to in this very short amount of time. Um, and so he's he getting forward. older. And he's getting older. He's uh, I've heard he's a bit grouchy anyway, uh, but I really got to see it. And uh, he didn't hear her. And so he leans in and he says, what? And so she repeats it. And then he's like, I don't know what you're asking me. And then he had his his like his assistant was behind him on the inner red carpet. You know, so no pictures could be taken of the assistant. But he was there for an emergency. And he's like, I don't know what this woman's talking about. And like, like, put the sick the assistant on her. Now, granted, she, I, I, I think I heard a little bit of her question, and it made no sense. It was clearly an uninformed question, and probably delivered in a way. But he reacted in a very poor way. But now it sets it up because now he's coming to me, and like, there is like, like smoke like a bull. Like you ever seen cartoons how like smoke comes out of the bull's nose, and their like, eyes that's look how red. He's now look- <laughs> yes, that's how he's now looking at me. And I, you know, I had some good questions ready, and and I plowed on with them, but. God damn it. You know, it was it was uh it was very unnerving because my experience has, has really been these guys, you know, celebrities, men, women, they're all generally very normal, which is something that people don't really think about a lot. And two, they want to talk about the thing that they're there for. So as long as you are amicable and amenable, you know, they want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about their projects. And, and so it's not hard to get along with with you know celebrities in these kinds of situations. But he he was set off, and uh, he you know he gave he was he was very perfectly nice to me, uh, not rude in any way, shape, or form, and he answered my questions. But it was my ass was so clenched, I could have <laughs> I could have crafted a diamond from a piece of coal just in the five minutes that we stood there talking. It was it was super super uncomfortable, and remains probably the most uncomfortable uh, interview I have given before or since. You're like so. Silverado's my favorite western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I felt for Jordan, and I felt for Jordan, the comic, in this episode. You know, just doing his warm-up and having the lights guy give him shit for his uh, stand-up act. No one needs that, you know? You know. You know well, I've never if, been on a, on, a, on a cruise. Is the talent reasonable on, on the shoe, on, on, for the shows on, on a cruise, on a good cruise? The comics can be great mm, let's back that up comics run <laughs> comics run the gap i've been on several cruises and all the comics if if you go to the x-rated show like the one that kids aren't allowed to go to like the late show it's not necessarily x-rated but the the unsleuth you know the the blue the uncensored show. show the blue show yes thank you uh those tend to be funny because it's not hard to make people laugh when you're slinging f-words and tits and farts and sex and fucking and in those kinds of jokes like you can make people laugh you know because that's people like crass humor so that's like an easy win but to get the family hour comic man that that's a tight tight rope to walk that uh has been a mixed bag in my experience on cruises music music acts tend to be very good on cruises and then obviously judd coming up there uh didn't really help matters at all what was your take on judd this week because that whole scene was very surreal granted he was drunk or drugged out of his mind but i don't think we've ever seen him be serious about anything obviously like he got in that guy's face talking about the people getting hurt or killed with the gravity well you know going out and stuff it was like a like a real whiplash moment for his character you think we're gonna see more of serious judd i am I am not a drinker, as you've witnessed firsthand. 
<laughs> and I was drunk at the time, so I don't remember, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The, the drunk, serious person is someone that I have met. And in the moment, it's kind of hilarious because they're 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 usually very serious about something that isn't that serious. They're not usually telling you about the time their grandma died. They're usually being very like trying to be super serious about the best deal they ever got on an oil change or something like that. But they're presenting it like the time their grandma died. He was being serious about something that was actually serious, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But it still kind of rang the same to me. Like he took it about as seriously as that. The words were serious, but his delivery still reminded me of the drunk, serious guy that wasn't to really to easy to take seriously. The fact that he shifted into let's, you know, shit Frank out of the airlock literally like two minutes later. That probably did. Uh, yeah. That snapped him out of his uh, his self-serious reverie. I think you're probably right. But leading um, up to that, the part you already mentioned where he's he's uh, he's kind of revving up for the party. And, and he doesn't have, he has no idea how to act around people. So he just goes and starts screaming in people's faces and stuff. That, right. That's his game plan. He's like, let's go shout in people's faces. Yeah. And then he does. That part in conjunction with Iris was, but you know, if you take Iris out of that scene, you're totally right. That is more disturbing than it is funny. But the two of them tag teaming, that does make it funny. Every episode we've seen this now, we had a future prediction this week. I don't know, did you catch it about uh, our former Harry Potter? Uh, what What is in his future? Ah, uh, geez, yes. It was something, he got hurt, right? Bones broken. Oh, no. No, he shit himself at the Super Bowl. Shit himself Daniel, at the Super Bowl. Yes. He shit his pants at the, yes. It was, uh, it was being, uh, I think it was Billy talking about uh, how it was uh, not, not as embarrassing as when Daniel Radcliffe shit his pants at the Super Bowl. So we have that to look forward to in the next couple of years, presumably. Uh, I did hear that one. I guess I didn't remember it, but I did catch it. I think the Prometheus, uh, you know, God of Fire, you know, uh, Fire Spelt Fire Festival style remains my favorite future prediction. But uh, this was a pretty good one because I'm a big Harry Potter fan. So I like the idea of Harry shooting himself at the Super Bowl. I have a soft spot for short actors. <laughs> <laughs> no one's shorter than Daniel Radcliffe. So there you go. Well, that's true. I just go back to our discussion about being on rope lines and, and being in like round tables and stuff. Uh, I don't, is your experience that actors tend to be much shorter than you think they are? Many cases. Yes. In a couple cases, I was surprised how tall they were. Uh, I was in the arrow room two years ago. Echo Callum was doing the rounds with Emily Bet Ricard. He was astoundingly tall. Six and a half feet, if I could guess. I mean, just like had to kind of hunch over to hear people tall, you know? Wow. Yeah. I would not have guessed that. I didn't, I don't, I don't think I, I really realized that. Yeah. Mr. So. Terrific. Very tall. Well, he's got that going for him. And funny. He's really the best of all worlds. There were, uh, there were some great, uh, like under the breath lines or in the background lines. Did, did any stick out for you in this episode? There were a couple that really made me chuckle. Beginning of the episode, when Spike is fighting Billy to get on the comms while Ryan is out doing the spacewalk. I don't, it's hard to hear because Spike and Billy are arguing with each, with each other. But Ryan is talking about how he has to sneeze and how a sneeze is eminent. And he's being really serious. He's like, I'm really going to sneeze. And he asks in a very serious manner, just out into space, he asks if anyone knows what the sneezing protocol is. And just the phrase that he uses, the phrase, you know, does anyone know what the sneezing protocol is? And it was just very funny because it was just kind of under the breath. It made me laugh. I had a 
I heard him saying something. I, li- I had to listen to it twice to pick out what he was saying. But because the show is so reliant on the protocols, you know, I think that's a running gag. Yeah. The show really likes its protocol words. The sneezing protocol uh, in particular made me laugh. There was another good one with Matt when someone asks him, I think it's Judd asks him about, or maybe it's a passenger, asks him about the halfway party because they've seen his hologram hyping up the halfway home party. The passenger asks him, is this true? Matt says, it was true when I said it, like a marriage vow. <laughs> Really made me laugh. Uh, Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, you're right. I remember that one. That was a good one. Uh, The show show, uh, has a real thing about marriage. It's interesting. I don't know if Armando is going through something in his personal life or someone in the writer's room is, but there is definitely an assault on the concept of marriage in the 40 years in the future. Yeah, I don't think they're Uh, fans. I don't I don't think they think it's the the way to go. They can't even make a thruple work, for God's sakes. And that seems like paradise. Yeah, that seems pretty uh, forgiving. But apparently not. You would think. Another one that really made me laugh was the Frank Conga line. Not so much that they did a Frank Conga line with Frank at the front, but it was the chance of cannot press a button. Da, 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 was really funny. They, and that they brought Frank along with it to, to roast him a little bit. I'm always a fan of a conga line uh, going through a ship or anywhere, really. If you ever see me start a conga line, you're going to you're gonna get on my good side real fast. So, I'll keep that in mind. A little bit about me. The last one, I think I think the line of the night is uh, Ryan at the end when he finally steps up to the platform to get Frank from being thrown out the airlock. says, uh, everyone calm. And I cannot stress this enough, the fuck down. It was just, it was great Hugh Laurie delivery. Uh, that's going to become my ringtone. That's a good one. Hopefully that goes off in church or or someplace like that. Uh, you can only hope. Maybe maybe I call myself just to make that happen. I don't know. I used to have an uh, app that, that would ring my phone because I had a guy that would visit my office and just start talking until he had run out of words which was a, a long time and so i researched ways to to interrupt myself and one of those was an app that you could get that would call your own phone in like whatever time you set look into that if, if you really that, really want to test things that's very that's actually very useful and uh i mean it requires a little understanding of what the person how the person is going to interrupt you on the clock so that you can kind of pre-plan it my, my last quote that i wanted to pick up and again was another spike one uh, i'll tell you spike has been a little hit and miss with me but when he's funny he really makes me laugh i mentioned earlier how he was standing out in the hallway he was trying to cheer on mia going to have sex with colin firm and uh he's chanting he, he goes do it do it out in the hallway and it was really really funny again just it was just like the little it was the little things those little deliveries really make me laugh i like those things make me enjoy the episodes given that we have three more episodes to go man you know i didn't predict anything like the turd shield but that kind of takes a something wrong with the ship being off the menu for the next couple of episodes but then it could be right on time for either people getting sick or running out of food, something having to do with yeah. people. That's a, that's my current guess of where we're going next. F- food food shortage, I, I think, has to be one of the final three things that we experienced this season. Because I think they were pretty clear when they set out that they didn't have enough food. That was actually something they established pretty early. You know, Chekhov's food shortage. Yeah. You know, and we're we're not even a fraction of the way through this voyage probably you're right some kind of shipwide sickness or or some kind of vigilante gang i could see some kind of like you know kind of stoked by the frank anger you know no, nothing subdues a crowd like having someone to blame yeah and, uh, you know they definitely you know that was a very real thing that i, I appreciate again good satire 
in that situation, people would want to blame Frank, even though it's ridiculous to think him pushing a button caused the shit to explode out of the side of the pipe. But in that kind of mob mentality, it rang true for me. So I thought it was funny because I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good satire of how people would react in that situation. I don't think that's going to be the last you know sacrificial lamb that we see in this season. So I expect more passenger unrest, and I definitely, like you, I expect a food shortage. Well, that wraps things up uh, for this week, then. Definitely let us know what you guys think of the season so far. Are you on board for season two? And uh, if you have a theory on what we may face in Avenue 5 in the next couple episodes, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. This is Paul from Daily Review. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.